as the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 304, and we are recording on October 25th. I'm Jen Worthington. I'm here with Liberty Hardy from All the Books, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Liberty? Hello, Jen. I'm very excited to talk about books with you. Yay. I miss you. We used to do all the books together. I know. I was thinking I used to be on all the books and you were on some very early episodes of Get Booked yes. plus some um, since then. So you haven't been on for a while, though. No, no. So this is going to be awesome. We're going to nerd out. Yes. It's a very exciting reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda is currently hiking through the Grand Canyon, which is uh, pretty wow. awesome. I know. I know. Right. But... We are going to talk about books and not the desert. Okay. Although we did both just watch Dune, so we could talk about the desert, but we're not going to do that. Yeah, that, that's a whole other road that we'll go down. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> All right. So let's see. How does this show work? You might be wondering. Let me tell you. This is, as we said, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you can send in your question. Maybe you need a read-alike for a book that you love. Maybe you need a present for a friend or a family member or for or a book club, or whatever. And if you send in those requests, you can send them either to email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's linked over on bookriot.com for the show notes for every episode. And let's see, what else do you need to know? Mm, Oh, if it's a time-sensitive request, like you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive all caps either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, and we might answer your question on air, so keep an ear out for those. I do have a reminder for everyone that we do still have just... Like, you'll have like half a week left to get our 10th anniversary limited edition special Book Riot merch. It's pretty sweet. Go to bookriot.com slash merch to check it out. That is all disappearing on October 31st. So go get your hoodie if you haven't gotten one already. (gasps) That would be a great Halloween costume. The last day of Book Riot merchandise. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's see. We also have a bunch of feedback from listeners who have recommendations. Uh, The first is from Amy, who says, for the stagehand book, a good rec could be Echo After Echo by A.R. Capetta. It's a YA book. One of the two protagonists is a lighting director and does a lot of backstage theater stuff that isn't stage managing. There's also a murder and a queer love story plot, so it's not all theater tech. But the whole book is set out of theater, so you end up seeing a lot of how the show is put together. We've gotten some great recommendations for that question. Thank you all for finding us books that are actually about backstage that are not about a stage manager. Good job, everybody. All right, let's see. We From Kelly for Francis, who is looking for bitter women with bad attitudes, Maestra by L.S. Hilton, a young British woman gets creative and mad to combat the crushing elitism that surrounds her beloved world of fine art. And then for Oshida, Oshida? Sorry if I said that wrong, who wanted a cozy apple orchard and black witches, The Cat Who Knew a Cardinal by Lillian Jackson Brown, which is 12 in that Cat Who series. Massive, massive. Don't need to read it in order. Kelly also recommends Witches Steeped in Gold by Siannon Smart, which is a YA that Kelly says haven't read, but just look at that cover. Rachel says for Brie, who is looking for fall vibes, perhaps the graphic novel Pumpkinheads by Rainbow Rowell and Faith Erin Hicks. While not spooky, it is all the fall vibes. 
And for M, looking for the energy of neurotic 30-somethings, I would recommend any book by Phoebe Robinson. Her newest book is called Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes. just came out last month. And I'm judging you by Lovey Ajayi. Those are good recommendations also. Okay, so Lisa says for Mandy, in episode 303, here are two fantasy books with Austria settings, City of Lost Dreams by Magnus Flight and The Little Book by Selden Edwards. And then, last but not least, Lauren says, for the person who wanted courtroom drama, I recommend anything by Jodi Pico. Almost all are courtroom dramas. I started with My Sister's Keeper. Woo! That was a lot of feedback. Good job, everybody. That was great. So many books. Yeah, I know. People love books. Turns out. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. Uh, All right. Our first question is from Lauren, who says... This year, Matt Haig has become a favorite author. I am sad because I only have two more books left of his backlist, and I'm out of books until he has a new one. Do you know of any authors or books that are similar or that I would enjoy just as much? I really enjoyed both The Midnight Library and How to Stop Time. All right, before we get into our recommendations, we are going to do our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, let's see now. We're talking about read-alikes for Matt Haig. In a minute, I'm going to let Liberty talk, I swear. But first, I'm going to do my recommendation for this one. So I know Amanda just used this book, but I think it really fits the question. So I'm recommending The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow as a comp for The Midnight Library, 
January is the main character of uh, 10,000 Doors, as you might guess from the title. And uh, she lives in this big mansion. She's the ward of this wealthy person. And she feels very like, I am just part of his collection. It's not a great feeling. And then she finds this book that lets her go to other places and have all these adventures and discover all of these different things about herself and the world that she lives in. Um, I'm not going to give too much more detail because Amanda talked about it a bunch in our previous episode and y'all have already heard about this book. But I really think like for the Comp for the Midnight Library, right, we've got like a book inside of a book. We have secrets and I think it has the same sort of cozy adventure vibe as the Midnight Library. Very close, very close vibe wise. So again, that is The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. Liberty, what do you have for this person? Well, I'm really excited because I get to talk about one of my favorite books of the year. Again, I never want to stop talking about this book. I've not read Matt Haig's fiction. I've only read his nonfiction, but I have read a lot about the Midnight Library, and I think this is a good fit. It's Meet Me in Another Life by Katrina Silvey. It's about two students in a German city named Thora and Santi, and we meet them in the first chapter, and then something tragic happens. And it's not a spoiler to tell you that one of them dies. And then we meet them again. And again, and again. And now they're student and teacher, father and daughter, doctor and patient. Every time they are both in this German city, the same people are around them, but they're different people to each other and to the other people around them. And as they keep going through these lives, they start to remember things about their past and the fact that maybe, like, they'd known each other in another life. And so now they're trying to figure out, why are they here? Where are they? How do they make it stop? You know, after doing this, like, hundreds of times, it's getting old. Um, you know, but why are also are these two people together in particular? And also, can you ever really know someone completely? Mm. It's so good. And it does give you a huge punch in the feels, maybe even more than the Midnight Library. Like, I cried a lot during this book, but I love crying during books. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's one of my favorite books of the year. And then if you read this book, And then you go back and read it again, you will find things that you didn't even know were important the first time around. And I love a book that does that. Like when you go back and go, oh, now Mm. I see. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Just, just so good. I do want to give content warnings for violence, murder, and suicide. It's Meet Me in Another Life by Katrina Sylvie. That sounds great. I love it. Good to know. Uh, So I have the next question. It says, I just finished watching How to Get Away with Murder, and I love it so much, and now I'm craving a book like it. I know a lot of murder mystery thrillers can fit that, but I don't want a classic whodunit. I'm looking for that atmosphere of a college town, the found family dynamic, like in How to Get Away with Murder characters, and the crime aspect, too. Hopefully, it's not too much to ask. This question is from Maria. Thank you for asking this question, Maria. I've never seen How to Get Away with Murder, (laughs) but I have read a lot about it in responding to this question. The first book that everyone talks about is The Secret History by Donna Tartt, but I feel Mm -hmm. like that's been done, you know, one of my favorite books, but everybody talks about it. So I chose Pleasantville by Attica Locke, and I was pleasantly uh, uh, surprised to see that it was actually uh, on the book riot list of books to read if you like How to Get Away with Murder, which you linked to, Jen, in our notes here. So I was like, yay, I made a good decision. And it will tell you, this is actually the second book in the Jay Porter series. There are only two so far. This came out many years ago now. I did not read the first and had no problem understanding everything going on in this book. And I really enjoyed it. Jay Porter is a lawyer. He's at the end of his career. He's had some really tough cases. He doesn't want to do it anymore. 
But then this young woman who is canvassing for a local politician goes missing, and Jay agrees to defend the suspect. He is the nephew of one of the, lead- of the leading candidates in the mayoral race in Houston. So now Jay's last case is going to be his first murder trial because he feels like he can't say no to these people who are asking for favors of him. And he gets pulled into the mystery of this woman's disappearance and the crooked politics it uncovers. And it's excellent. I would like to see more from Jay Porter. I mean, I love everything Attica Locke's done, of course, except I haven't read the first book in the series. Um, (laughs) But I really liked him as a character. You know, he's kind of like, oh, you know, I can't, I want to do the right thing, but I also, I can't say no to these things. And he's also a single father with teenagers, and I really like their dynamic as a family. And it's a mystery. Mm. I love a mystery. Let's get to the bottom of it and find out who's responsible and what happened. I do want to give content warnings for sexual assault and, you know, murder. Uh, It's Pleasantville by Attica Locke. Yeah, love some Attica Locke. Love some Attica Locke. Right, so as Liberty said, I did find a post on the site because I was verifying my own picks because I haven't seen all of How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, Just a couple episodes. And there, I'm going to link to the post and I was double checking. And this one, I think, seems like a really good, interesting fit in very specific ways. I got kind of hung up on like, the college town part and like the complicated character dynamics. I am going to say before I start talking about this, because it could be triggering to somebody out there listening, there's content warnings for uh, gun violence on a college campus that are a huge part of this book. You can't talk about it without talking about it. So uh, if that is going to be hard for you to listen to, you'll want to skip ahead. My pick is A Small Revolution by Jimin Han. And this does take place, obviously, on a college campus in Pennsylvania. And a gunman is holding four young freshmen hostage in their dorm room. And the person who is doing this is unraveling after his best friend was killed and one of the young people in the room, Yuna, like was the love of this guy's life. And there's like, so there's a lot of really intense feelings going around, right? Like somebody has lost their best friend and they suspect foul play. And that person who has died is also deeply connected to the people who are in this room. And Yuna is having to go like, you know, into her own past as well as dealing with this present situation to try to figure out like, how are we going to deal with everything that's going on in this very tense, very upsetting and difficult situation. And she, like, grew up in an abusive household. She, you know, she's Korean-American. Um, she went back to Korea to, you know, you know, get in touch with her own heritage, which is obviously very complicated. And sh- there's all of this, like, detail about what it means to come from a place that has this very difficult history and then what it's like to be a Korean-American and then also, you know, murder and crime and all of these things. So, like, there's a lot going on, very, very lot going on. It is ultimately about hope which is sort of what you want from something that's going to be as heavy as this. But I think that you might get some of the same sort of really intense character interactions and then with the college campus setting. So heavy, obviously, maybe too heavy, but I wanted to give it to you as an option. Again, that's A Small Revolution by Jimin Han. 
All right. I am reading our next question, which is from Diana, who says, I just watched Promising Young Woman, and it was amazing. I need books like this. Hopefully something that is dark and funny like the movie. So far, the only thing on my radar is Boy Parts by Eliza Clark. Please help. All right, I'm just going to keep talking. I picked for you My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyinkan Braithwaite, which is like, for my money, the book that if you want like dark, funny, and like women murdering people, (laughs) this is... This is your book. As you might guess from the title, the main character, Koreda, is the sister of a serial killer, Ayula. She, her boyfriends keep ending up dead. And like Koreda's job is to help her sister. Like she has a lot of family loyalty. And like Ayula always has like a quote unquote good reason for this. So like she helps dispose of the bodies and has been doing this for a while. Kareda works in a hospital. She has this huge crush on this doctor. He's very kind. He's very handsome. And, like, she has all of these dreams about one day, like, it's going to happen. But then Ayula attracts his attention. He asks Kareda for the phone number. And now she has to, like, deal with, like, oh, my gosh, like... Is he going to end up dead? I am so jealous. Also, but she's my sister. What is going to happen? And I think it will very much satisfy the itch for like, yes, like, is this the right thing? Like, is Ayula doing the right thing? Is Kareda doing the right thing? Like, why do these men keep ending up dead? What is going to happen next? Like, you're going to you're going to like it. So, again, that is My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oyinkan Braithwaite. Now, that would have been my first pick, too. (laughs) I stole it. (laughs) Not at all. You got there first. (laughs) But I have another great one, which I think is, (laughs) I think is a really good pick for this. Because it's also, it's an adult book, but it's also the winner of the ALA's Alex Award. Mm. And the Alex Awards are given by the American Library Association to the top, to 10 books every year that are written for adults, but have special appeal to young adults ages 12 through 18. And this deals with a lot of stuff that kids go through at school. So I think it's important to, to keep mentioning this book. Um, it's set at Stonebridge Academy. There is a new writing teacher named Alex Witt, and she gives the students a prompt that says, what do you love? What do you hate? What do you want? And one of the students in the classroom reveals something about something horrible that's happening at their school involving some of the elite students and the school's darkroom. And the female students at the school are often victim to what is called the 10. It's this group that is beyond reproach. These boys are, you know, their families are moneyed and they're connected and the administration just kind of lets them do whatever they want. And a small group of girls have gotten together because they have decided to fight back against this boys will be boys mentality at the school, despite getting some pushback from some, from some other girls who are like, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want, you know, what happens to me to be known. You know, they're going to they're going to take on this problem and their writing teacher, Alex Witt, is going to help them. And meanwhile, we also learn that she has some trauma in her past that she's working through. But, you know, their own vendettas and rage and personal trauma at what happened to them, you know, backed by centuries of injustices to women everywhere, might consume everything when it's unleashed. It's really excellent and and important, I think. Um, I do want to give content warnings for violent sexual assault on a school campus and death. It is The Swallows by Lisa Lutz. All right. So I get to read the next letter. So this one is from Jane. 
And it says, I am a big fantasy romance reader, but recently picked up Once There Were Wolves for Book of the Month, and I loved it. I really enjoyed learning about the reintroduction of wolves into the wild and the strong natural setting. I wanted to broaden my reading horizons with some more thrillers that have nature at the forefront. I've also read and loved Peter Heller's The River and have the guide on a Libby Hold. YA Ordal is fine. So before I give my pick, I want to mention one thing. I love Peter Heller. I love The River. I love The Guide. If you have not read The River, the guide spoils it for you. And it, and it doesn't say anywhere on the book that it's a sequel. Oh. So I want to, like, make that known. If you read The Guide, <laughs> it will tell you everything that happened in The River. Pro tip. And also, The Guide is one of the first books I read that involves the pandemic. Like, that's Ooh. going on. And I know a lot of people want to avoid reading about that right now. So I want to give a heads up to that, too. But it is an excellent book. I did really enjoy it. But uh, moving on from that, I'm going to tell you about my pick, which is Breaking Wild by Diane Lebeck. It's about a woman named Amy Ray Latour. She loves nature and camping and hunting and loves to get away from her family when she can and goes on trips. And she takes this trip with these two friends and they go out into the Colorado wilderness. And in between hunting and, and camping and setting up camp, she disappears. And now... Ranger Prue Hathaway and her dog are sent to look for her. Of course, the two men that Amy uh, was camping with are suspects in her disappearance. You know, Prue thinks, like, maybe they did something and, you know, they're go it's going to be like a, a search and recover because days go by and there's no sign of her. And then it snows and there are terrible conditions and days and days and days go by. And everyone has given up hope except for Prue. Prue has this feeling that Amy is still alive out there in the wilderness. It's told in alternating chapters uh, between Prue and Amy, and we learn about their lives and what drives them and, you know, Amy's fight for survival. And it's really excellent. You learn a lot about nature and, and survival, although I did not retain any of it. <laughs> I, would, I would not do good in nature. Like, I know what not to do. Like, don't wander away from where you get lost and, like, don't eat those berries. But I also don't know what to do, you know, so ultimately I would, I would not do well in nature. It's kind of like the same stance I take in playing World of Warcraft. Stay in the road so you don't pull anything, but I don't know what to do to fight the things if I do. So, you know, <laughs> I always end up dying. But this is just, it's excellent. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for prolonged peril, by which I mean Amy's going to go through a lot, and animal death. It is Breaking Wild by Diane Lebeck. Liberty, have you ever been camping just out of curiosity? No. No, I have yeah. not. No, I'm yeah. too afraid of everything. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. But do you know do you know why? Why? Because I read books. <laughs> there is a memoir called Stranger Than Paradise, I think. I think that's what it's called. About a, a woman who went camping with a friend in college and I've never recovered from reading that book. And I think it oh, was like no. 16, 17 years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> no camping for me. I'm going to have to read it just to find out. I'm a car camper, so, like, you know, the car's always right there. You can always drive. Well, that that's better. That, that is better. Yeah, yeah. 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 You, can always, you can always hide in the car if you need to. Yep. All right. So so I could not, I, like, my, the, my, this, my pick for this just totally blocked the rest of my brain. I could only think of one book because it was just such a strong, like, oh, it's this book. So I picked Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczuk, uh, translated by Antonia Lloyd-Jones. And I haven't read Once There Were Wolves yet, for, for the record. I do actually really want to read it. 
But when I was thinking about, you know, a thriller that's like very much about nature and takes place strongly in a natural setting, I was like, oh, it's got to be Drive Your Plow. This is sort of a murder mystery and a thriller and also very much about like one woman's connection to the the natural world around her. So Janina is our main character. It might be Yanina. I actually don't know what the correct pronunciation is of that. I'm just realizing because I haven't said her name out loud before. But anyway, Janine, we're going to go with Janina. She lives in a very remote Polish village. She's an older woman. She's very eccentric. Like she's very into astrology. She's a translator. She's translating William Blake and is like super into all of his, you know, weirdo visions. And she has, you know, this reputation. She's also very much, she's a, she's a vegetarian. She cares so much about animals. And she is not only lives in this tiny village, but is also a caretaker because a, a fair number of the houses are only in seasonal use by like, you know, snowbirds. Like people will come for the summer to these houses and then leave when it gets really cold and wintry and everything is sort of locked down. They don't want to be there. So she takes care of the houses for these um, very wealthy people who come in and out of the community. And there's a few other locals and they all are like very strong, interesting characters. And one day her neighbor, who she has nicknamed Bigfoot, turns up dead and Janina is convinced that he he was a hunter and she's convinced that like the deer are responsible based on both her own feelings and like some quote unquote clues. And so she like goes down to the police station and she's like, it's the animals. And you're like, you are not you. okay, little old lady, like that's nice. Go home now. But then other people start to die. And so you follow Janina as she is interacting with her community and like what she thinks is going on. And it's so strange. This book is so strange, but it is a really intense ride. And the setting is so important. Like it's so much about the natural setting and Janina's care for the animals in around her and like how she feels about how other people interact with them. So it's not like a direct comp. I don't know that uh, I don't think for Once There Were Wolves, but I think you're going to get a lot of the same feelings out of it. And it is just like, like I said, it's a, it's a whole ride. It's a whole situation. Obviously, because we're talking about, you know, hunting and things, there is animal death in this. So, you know, be aware. But again, that's Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczyk, translated by Antonia Lloyd-Jones. And now it's time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. 
So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Becky, who says, very seasonally appropriate, this question. I am really in the mood for a book about a haunted house. I read Mexican Gothic lately, and it's the only book this year that I read in one day because I couldn't put it down. When I was younger, I avoided horror books because I had trouble sleeping afterwards. So I have not read much, even though Halloween is my favorite holiday and I love all things spooky. But I must admit, at the ripe old age of 31, I'm an adult now and it's time to expand my horror reading horizons. I I have to thank you, Becky, for putting in the yins reference for Pittsburghers. That's their word for y'all. And I just like as a Pennsylvania denizen, I appreciate the insertion. So thanks, Becky, for, for that colloquialism. Okay, so so we're looking for haunted houses that are a comp for Mexican Gothic. So I am recommending to you a book that I have only halfway read because it is too much for me. As y'all know, I am not so good at the spooky, but I think that you are going to really love it. I liked what I read. I just couldn't keep going because I was not going to be able to sleep afterwards because it is very creepy. So my pick is White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. Uh, This comes with content warnings for disordered eating and self-harm, along with like body horror and all of the horror-y things, because this is a horror recommendation, as y'all know. All right, so White is for Witching takes place in England uh, near Dover, like the the cliffs of Dover, right? It's it's near that. And the family in question is very much dealing with the grief of losing um, the mother. They're, They're twin teenagers, Miranda and Elliot, and then her husband, Luke, who are just, like, devastated by this loss. Also, they live in a haunted house. It's a thing. Like, it confuses visitors. And they people get lost. There are, you know, things happening in the garden out of season. And there are like generations of women living in the walls. Like it is it is there's no question that this house is haunted from the jump. It is from the get go. Miranda is coming back from a stay in a rehab facility um, because of her disordered eating. And she is like not really doing well in her recovery in a lot of different ways. And she is sort of talking to the house. And then she disappears and everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. And it is extremely gothic, extremely dark and creepy. Oyeyemi is so good at that, like, 
atmospheric creeping sense of horror that it's like low key but very very it just seeps into you and it just builds and builds and builds and I think it is definitely one for if you're feeling up to it you're gonna love it Um, and I think it's very comparable in terms of intensity level to Mexican gothic so again that is white is for witching by Helen Oyeyemi Okay, so I went in a little bit of a different direction because I'm listening to Becky's question and I'm hearing that she wants to read horror in a haunted house. So I picked one of Book Riot's, this must be one of our 10 favorite books, I think, which is The Good House mm. by Tanana Reeve Dew, which came out many years ago, but just keeps going and going as far as recommendations. It's just so excellent. And I love a scary house book. I don't want anything scary in my house. That's a big no. <laughs> but like, I love reading about it in other people's homes. And so this one is about a woman named Angela. She has just moved into the family home called The Good House in Sacagawea, Washington. It's called The Good House because the family that owned it before, like a long time ago, were the goods, like G-O-O-D-E. And also because her grandmother uh, was beloved by the community. She had lived in this house before Angela did. So Angela is, like, really excited to get away because she's broken with her husband. Like, there's a divorce and it was not a good marriage. And now she's with her teenage son. And this is what they need. They need to get away. And so they move into this house. But shortly after their move, her son dies by suicide and Angela leaves the house. But then, you know, she's traumatized. She's grieving. She doesn't know what to do. So about two years later, she goes back to the house looking for answers. Like, what happened? How did this happen? And she learns about the history of the house and the town and how her grandmother sort of rid the town of this ancient evil. But as we all know, like, ancient evils are like Teflon. You know, it just doesn't, like, removing ancient evil just doesn't stick, you know. So now there's, like, some demon who's pretty mad about what happened and may or may not be back in the house. And so she's going to stay in that house and she's not coming out until she has the answers that she needs. And it's so good. Tanana Reedu is so good at scary stuff. Uh, she has a story collection called Ghost Summer, and like the I'm terrified. You, you might have learned already that I'm afraid of everything, <laughs> but there's like her first story is about something in the water, like when people go in this lake, and I'm like afraid Ugh, of things in the water, no, and it's you. so scary. <laughs> like if you want to read something scary, like it's so good. But this novel is excellent. I also have found it like people are always like I love Stephen King. I want to read more Stephen King. I've read everything. Like I have found it to be the most Stephen King like novel that I have read, but I also don't want that to be a deterrent for people who don't like Stephen King or, you know, it's good for people who don't want to read Stephen King. You know, it's like I want to read someone else. It's excellent. They just reissued her first book and I was kind of hoping like we get a new book from her because mm. it has been a while, but she's so excellent. And I do want to give content warnings for violence, racism, physical abuse, murder, and suicide for this book. And I also want to point out that as far as a Mexican gothic read-alike, there is a book coming in May. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But it'll be here before you know it. Uh, I read it and I loved it. It takes place in Mexico. It's called The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas. And it's about a woman who goes to stay in a house with her new husband and spooky things are happening. So I want to just give that a shout out. Fair enough. May. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. All right. Uh, I get to read the next question. It's from Jessica. I'm looking for a book about a mom. I don't want a book where a woman is a mom, but that doesn't play into the story at all. Something like Little Fires Everywhere, but less toxic. Family drama is fine. I like fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, and historical fiction. Please no major trigger warnings like rape, cancer, death of mom or child, etc. I'm also open to nonfiction if it's funny like Dear Girls. 
Well, I went the fiction route, the sci-fi route, because this is one of my favorite books of the year, and I feel like it's not getting the love that it deserves. It's called We Are Satellites by Sarah Pinsker. And Jen, have you read this? I will say it's on my TBR. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I love Sarah Pinsker's other stuff, so I'm really excited for it. Yeah, it's excellent. I also am a huge fan of her other stuff, especially like last year, her novel about a a virus that spread across the world and everybody (laughs) had to go inside and couldn't attend large events. Whoa. So this is excellent sci-fi. It came out this year. It's about the pilot. The pilot is an implant that people get in the side of their head that connects to their brain. Obviously, this is set in a little bit in the future. Uh, and it allows people to multitask and, and helps people concentrate. And um, it's very expensive, as new technology always is. And it's also like a sign of status if you have one because they're so expensive. And, of course, people who are wealthy can get them and they have more advantages because of it because it gives them a leg up with their learning and everything else that they do, you know, and, and the rest of the people are left behind. And now the family in this book is Val and Julie and their two kids, David and Sophie. David really, really, really wants a pilot. Everybody he knows is getting one and he begs his parents and, you know, makes all these deals and, you know, chores and all the stuff. He really, really wants a pilot. And so Val and Julie talk it over and they decide, okay, David can get a pilot. And Julie, she works uh, with a bunch of people who are younger than her and she's feeling the pressure to get a pilot as well. Like almost like her company expects it from her now like all of the younger employees have them and so she's like well if david has one i should know what this is like and so she gets one as well so david and julie get pilots but sophie the daughter the youngest of the family she suffers from seizures and so she is unable to get one even if she wanted to and so val opts out of getting one in solidarity now david becomes the poster boy for productivity and focus as like the time goes on he becomes like, famous for being so good at what he does with everything. He's recruited by the government. And meanwhile, Sophie joins an anti-pilot movement because they want people to realize, like, how much freedom they are giving away. Like, how do you know that the government isn't spying on you? You know, mm. what is this information that they're, they're learning from you? You know, like, what is it doing to your body? Like, nobody knows. Um, and the family is torn in two. It's very realistic. Like, this definitely seems like something that isn't too far off, you know, this wearable tech I want to give content warnings for mentions of suicide, ableism, violence, and war. And because I just cannot stop recommending books, I want to mention that I read a book recently uh, that comes out in March, which is closer than May. Uh, It's called (laughs) A House Between Earth and the Moon by Rebecca Sherm, which deals somewhat with some of this like wearable tech. But in this one, it's a phone that is implanted in your ear, like little filaments. uh, And you can like get all your calls and see all your screens and do all that stuff, um, which reminded me of that. And it's just a really excellent book. So I wanted to shout that out. And this excellent book that I just discussed was called We Are Satellites by Sarah Pinsker. All right. I, yeah, I definitely picked a genre book. And I you mentioned you wanted something less toxic. So I'm giving you like all the way over. Like there's there's nothing toxic in this book at all. It's like extremely heartwarming and very fun. And also there's there is drama. It's The Reluctant Queen by Sarah Beth Durst. This is technically the second book in the Queens of Renthea series. You could read it before you read the other one. I think that would be fine. Um, You would still get all of the important bits about this world, which is a fantasy world, like I said, that has uh, nature spirits. Speaking of books that will not make you want to go camping, these nature spirits are not benevolent. They are, in fact, very violent and are always looking for ways to attack 
attack humans who do not take the proper precautions. But there are certain people who are born with the power to control the nature spirits. And Naylin is such a person, but she doesn't want anybody to know about her powers. She has two kids and like kind of like a... How do I want to describe him? He is like a very underachieving husband is how I want to put it. And she's like got her hands full. Like she wants to be a mom. She wants to take care of her family. She also wants to take care of her village. So she has like on the DL protected them from the nature spirits, but otherwise does not want anybody to know what she can do. And of course, inevitably, people find out and she is recruited to be the heir to the queen of Renthia because the queen is actually dying and needs to like start training somebody. And so they think that Naylin could be that person. And she is not into it. I mean, the book is called The Reluctant Queen. Like she is extremely reluctant. She wants nothing to do with this, but she isn't really given a choice. So she's like, well, fine. If I'm coming, I'm bringing my kids. So it is very much about her dealing with being forced into a role that she doesn't want, but maintaining her connection with her children, her calling as a mother, like her being a parent is so important to her. And it's so cool to see a fantasy book that like leans into that because I I think you're right. There are a lot of books where like somebody is a mom, but you don't get to see them parenting on the page. Whereas like this book, parenting is baked into the story and it's done in a really thoughtful way that I just, like I said, I haven't seen it very often and I loved seeing it here. Also, nothing bad happens to the children, which is always nice. So again, that's The Reluctant Queen by Sarah Beth Durst. All right. And now it's time for our last question, which is from Lindsay, who says, I'm currently a grad student majoring in public health with a concentration in epidemiology, very on brand during COVID alongside the required academic reading materials from my courses, which are very informative but very dry, I want to engage in books that explore epidemics slash pandemics, immunizations, viruses, or pretty much anything that relates to public health in a more enjoyable format. I just finished On Immunity, an inoculation by Eula Biss, and loved it. I am open to both fiction and nonfiction. And this is not a requirement, but it would be nice to read a book written by a BIPOC author to see how public health issues like the above mentioned affect marginalized communities. I'm just gonna keep going. I have the book for you. It is literally called Pandemic. It's by Sonia Shah, who is Indian American. And this book... Long-time listeners will know I have a soft spot for epidemiology, popular nonfiction, even though it, like, scares the bejesus. It's my version of horror. Like, it scares the bejesus out of me, (laughs) but I also really want to know the things. And I read this book when it first came out a little while back, and I thought it was so good. And one of the reasons I think it's so good is because she's a science journalist. She's, like, a prize-winning journalist. She's very good. And she is digging into you know, Ebola, cholera, avian flu, like all of these different epidemics and pandemics that uh, have arisen in the world. But she's looking at them from a bunch of different angles. Like she's looking at, you know, the science behind it, but she's also very much looking at the historical context, the political context, the social context. And she's also talking about her own family's struggles with illness 
she and I think one of her other family members gets MRSA, which is like a very difficult thing to deal with if you didn't know. And so like you're hearing about that. And she's got a very global perspective with this personal touch. And I think it's just exactly what you are looking for. Like she's considering so many different angles on these public health crises. She's presenting so much information. She's doing it in a really engaging and accessible way. I just love her work. So again, that is Pandemic by Sonia Shah. So I think, what was the book with the scary pandemic book with the screeching monkey on the cover? Because I think I read... Oh, that's the David Quammen, which I also love. Yeah, yeah. I read that because you told me to. <laughs> Did it... Was I? Do I need to apologize? No, no, I liked it. I also okay, read good. his book after that, which ugh, I read a lot of books. So I'm forgetting all the titles now. Yeah, yeah. So I chose... What the Eyes Don't See, A Story of Crisis, Resistance, and Hope in an American City by Mona Hanna-Atisha. And this is about the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, which, if you read the news, is not mentioned very often, but is still going on. Uh, Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha is a physician and a scientist from England, and alongside with a team of researchers and parents and friends and the community leaders, exposes the truth of the water problem in Flint. If you've never heard about it, Uh, There are dangerous levels of lead in the water there, which largely affects marginalized communities. And this is a look at how the local government let this happen through basically indifference and Mm. also mistakes that were made and bureaucracy and a lot of like, not it, you know, not my problem. Mm. And we also learn about Dr. Mona and her life. She is a child of immigrants. They were scientists in Iraq who fled during Saddam Hussein's reign and... She talks about what led her to her fields besides, you know, like her parents were scientists and her family's legacy of fighting for what's right and how she decided to expose the problem in Flint. She has been called to testify twice now before the United States Congress and was also awarded the Freedom of Expression Courage Award by PEN America and named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. What I'm saying is she knows her stuff. She (laughs) knows what she's talking about. And, you know, but it is, like I said, still going on. And they're trying to figure out how to clean it up, but, you know, there's so many, like, roadblocks and things that they have to follow and procedures and all this stuff. And if this happens to be one that you've already read, I would also recommend The Poison City, Flint's Water and the American Urban Tragedy by Anna Clark, which came out uh, shortly after this one. So this one is What the Eyes Don't See, a story of crisis, resistance, and hope in an American city by Mona Hanna-Atisha. And that's our show! Yay! Yay, we we went to some dark places, uh, <laughs> but we also went to some fun places. It was yeah. fun. I always get nervous when I do the show that it's going to be a question like, you know, what book should I recommend if I want to, you know, help my raccoon learn how to parasail or something, you know? And I'm like, oh, no, I've never read a book like that. But these are all books I've read, and I was so excited. We do get very specific questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Well, you did a great job. And it's nice to have you. I'm so glad to, to be recommending much. with you. It was great. All right, let's see. So thanks go out to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for always Woo-hoo. cleaning up all of our flubs. Jen is great. Thanks also go out to you all for listening. Um, big thanks to Liberty for coming on the show today. Yay! You're welcome. And if you would like to find more recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts, including all the books, at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you feel like leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcatcher platform, that would be great. It helps other people to find the show. We super appreciate it. We also appreciate our sponsors for helping make the show possible. Liberty, in between all of these podcasts, where should people look for you? I hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. 
<laughs> such a such such a legacy that that handle you've had it for so long. I know, and everyone uh, thinks it's because I left Jonathan Franzen, and it is not. <laughs> nope. Peter Framden, Team yep. Peter Framden. All right, and you can find me also on Instagram as I am Jen IRL, as well as on Twitter and Tumblr sometimes at Jen IRL, J E N N I R L. I had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> uh, and that's our show. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. 